Timothy chapter 1, starting to read at verse 12. That's 1191. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory for ever and ever. Amen. Chapter 15, verses 1 to 10 and can be found on the Church Bibles on page 1048. Luke 15, 1-10 Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for your word to us. Help us to hear it this day, such that we may take it to heart, learn from it, and live it, that in us and through us 
your, your kingdom may be seen and your glory made known on the earth. For Jesus' sake, amen. Two little parables then, uh, the lost sheep and the lost coin. Parables that often get overlooked uh, because the next passage, the next parable in this chapter is the gargantuan chapter of the prodigal son. And yet these two little parables tell us unique things, things we need to understand. Because if we don't, don't grasp those things, we won't really ever understand the great parable of the prodigal son that follows. So let us look at what these parables can tell us. Firstly, that there is a connection that Christ Jesus makes, and it's the connection uh, between heaven and earth. We are people praying for heaven and earth to join together. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we pray. Praying for heaven and earth to be gathered up into one under Christ. And the way that Jesus concludes these two parables about the lost sheep and the lost coin tell us that there's a direct connection between heaven and earth and that what happens on earth causes an echo, a reverberation eternally in the heavenly places. There in verse 7 he says, I tell you, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. And verse 10, there's rejoicing over the present, in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. The moment a sinner repents, a party breaks out in heaven. And in verse 1 and 2, you can see who Jesus was talking about and who he was talking to. Now tax collectors and sinners, it says, were all gathered round to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about the tax collectors and sinners. Now the Pharisees, they were really good people. They were looking for the kingdom of God, but they didn't recognize it. They should have been partying. It was party time in heaven, but they were muttering and they were grumbling. In the Pharisees' mind, the connection between heaven and earth was the temple in Jerusalem, the Holy of Holies, where God's presence on earth was believed to be. But, of course, Jesus was the man from heaven come to earth, God with us. He changed the way God dealt with us. No longer judge, but saviour. And later, after the death 
and the resurrection of Jesus, the coming of the Holy Spirit dramatically renews this connection between heaven and earth, just as we've sung, make us new. Now, it takes place in each human heart. God joined his spirit with our spirits. So Jesus, he's looking for that connection in the hearts of the people. He's looking for people who know that they need saving because they know they can't save themselves. And he's found those people who have gathered around him there in verse 1. Those people are the tax collectors and the sinners. But you see, the Pharisees, they couldn't rejoice in that because the Pharisees were really good people. And the thing that they were really good at was being really good. So they thought they didn't need saving. They saw themselves as righteous by their own efforts. In their minds, they didn't need saving. And sinners, by definition, sinners couldn't be saved. So for them, there was no connection between heaven and earth. God sent a saviour they thought they didn't need because there's no good news for good people. No good news for good people. But for a sinner, the good news is that the connection, the connection uh, happens when we trust in Jesus. The connection happens when you and I put our faith in him, when we come to him, when we ask his forgiveness, because we're people in whom that connection has been made. You rejoice with the angels when you see that connection in me, and I rejoice with the angels when I see that connection in you. So the connection Christ makes is between heaven and earth. Secondly, there's a concern that Christ has. And the concern Jesus has is to turn sinners into saints. You see, the complaint was there in verse 2 that to be this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. To be a sinner was something that separated you from other people, a complete social barrier between the religious and the holy of the day and the sinners, the untouchables of the day. And the Pharisees and the sinners of the law, uh, sin teachers of the law, sorry, had a deliberate policy of avoiding every contact with them. Contact with a sinner was defiling. So it was shocking that Jesus not only spent time with them, but he sat down and ate with them. And in the, in the Pharisees' mind, repentance was no good for a sinner. It was too late for a sinner. They were beyond God's reach. 
But repentance, of course, is exactly what Jesus wanted. I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels, he says in verse 10, over one sinner who repents. The Pharisees actually wanted sinners to be destroyed. That was the just and right thing to happen. And I think if we're honest, when we hear it in the news of some particularly uh, heinous person who has died uh, as a result of their evils, sometimes we know that feeling. We shed few tears when we hear of the death of someone who's committed a heinous crime. In fact, we might even find satisfaction in it. But Jesus tells us that true satisfaction is not in them getting what they deserve, but in their repentance. More joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. If you truly want to bring joy to God's heart, win over a sinner for him. And that great teacher, St. Paul, knew it in the Timothy reading that we had He speaks of himself being a blasphemer and a persecutor and a murderer of God's people. He calls himself the worst of sinners because he made it his aim specifically to kill Christians. And it was to this worst of sinners that Jesus came in his concern that he should be turned into a saint. So right there in 1 Timothy 15 and 16, he proclaims it confidently. Here is a trustworthy saying worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display the immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. One Friday afternoon, a Chinese couple came into uh, the church, uh, St. Mary's Church in Ambleside, where I used to be rector. Uh, They'd never heard of Jesus, uh, as many Chinese people haven't, but across the cultures, and despite the difficulties of language, we we made a connection and we talked together uh, and talked first about the worship of a God who forgave sinners. And that was a new thought to that man, a God who forgives. And then he pointed to the Bible and he said, uh, why has everybody got the same book? And I told him uh, that this is our story. Uh, and that uh, we read this story regularly and routinely, and it keeps us faithful to this God who forgives. And he kind of got that. He understood that. And then he looked at the big window at the east end. And the big window, the grand window at the east end of St. Mary's Church, Ambleside, has five, uh, five sections, and Matthew and Mark are in the uh, left, and the first two on the left, and 
Luke and John are in the two on the right, and in the middle is St. Paul. And St. Paul stands head and shoulders above the rest. He wanted to know who these people were in it, so I told him, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, uh, and that it's St. Paul in the middle. He said, why are they there? And I said, well, because they wrote these bits of the Bible. We got the Bible out and we looked at the names at the top of each book, and I said, St. Paul wrote all of this, most of the rest of the New Testament. And then he looked at the window again, and he said, so why is the one in the middle higher than the rest and indeed Paul does stand head and shoulders above and I didn't know why had Paul stood head and shoulders above the rest I don't know wasn't it a bit of masonry that got in the way I... and then I remembered this verse in 1 Timothy that says, Paul was the worst of sinners and God forgave him and turned him into the saint of saints. So I told a little bit about that, this worst of sinners being made the saint of saints and this Chinese man who 10 minutes before had never heard of Jesus said, so you come in here and you look at that window and then you remember that that's what God can do for you. It's so humbling, isn't it, to be taught your faith by someone who's never heard of Jesus ten minutes before. To be reminded that Jesus is concerned to turn sinners into saints and that he wants to do it in me. And if I allow him to do it in me, then I can rejoice when he does it in you too. So that's the concern he has, to turn sinners into saints. But then there's a condition that Jesus changes. It's a wondrous thought, isn't it? A tremendous truth that God is kinder than human beings. We may give up on a sinner, but not God. Because there's a condition he changes, the condition from lost to found. You see, the sheep that's lost is not worth more than the others. The coin is not worth any more than the rest. The only thing about these sheep and the coin in the parables is that they are lost. And what's lost in the parables is searched for. The sheep is searched for by the shepherd. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. Does he not leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? The coin is searched for by the woman. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? Jesus is telling us what God is like. A searching God. A God who searches for what is lost. No Pharisee ever dreamed of a God like that. That God searched his, for his people was a new teaching. A teacher of the law 
might agree that if a man came crawling back to God in self-abasement, crying out for pity, well, he might just find it. But they would never, never have conceived of a God who went in search of sinners and rejoiced in finding them. Now, the condition of being lost comes about by being like a sheep. You get lost because you've wandered off. You nibble a bit here and nibble a bit there, nibble a bit further over there, wander over the hill, forget where you are, and lose your way back. Finally and properly lost. God's people don't intentionally get lost. But they do just drift away sometimes. But when they are lost, well, they're like the woman with the lost coin. The coin is a a dead thing, unable to find itself. It can't call for help or roll its way back. Forever lost unless someone searches for it changes its condition that it's in. There was a Korean mother whose daughter ran away from home to the city. And the mother saved her money until she had enough to go to the city to look for her daughter. And after a few days of fruitless searching, the money uh, began to run out. And so she had her photograph taken and she went to the seediest bars and hotels that she could bring herself to go in. And she put up copies of her face on the walls in these seedy bars and hotels. And then she got on the bus and she went home. And sometime afterwards, the woman's daughter came down the stairs of one of those seedy hotels and she saw her mother's picture on the wall and she took it from the wall and clasped it to her breast and she saw on the back there was some writing. And the writing said, whatever you've done, Whatever you've become, it's forgiven. Come home. Come home. Could it be that the way that lost people will see the face of Jesus searching for them is if we go to them and invite them to come. It might just be that inviting someone to our church will help Jesus make the connection between heaven and earth in their heart as he did in you and me. If we invited someone, we would share his concern to turn sinners into saints like he did in St. Paul and in you and me. 
if we offered an invitation? Might we just be enable Jesus to change their condition from lost to found like he has for you and me? And the simple message for them to hear is whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it's forgiven. Come home. It might just be the message you need to hear in your household today. Because when we've understood these things that these two parables are telling us, then we can read and understand the great story that comes next in the chapter about that boy who did come home and discover the forgiveness of his father's love. Amen.